Welcome. It is Friday and we're back with For Book's Sake. I am Heather Roberts. And I am Veronica Adams. And we're with 1852 Media. And we are going to be talking about some questions we've seen on the interwebs today from authors. And uh, also some interesting new news coming out of Amazon, which is, it's interesting. Uh, so, I mean, let's get into that. So that, that's Heather being polite, y'all. Yeah. I would have chosen another word and that's why she's in the driver's seat. <laughs> I mean, it's a little batshit. All right. We'll put it that way. Okay. There so we go. Amazon this week has just released a little button when you go and upload your content when you're uploading your book and there's a whole bunch of questions you have to answer and a bunch of, Mm -hmm. you know, information that you're putting out there. Yes. One of the new questions is Amazon asking you to self-report if your title is AI generated content. Right. And it says Amazon is collecting information about the use of artificial intelligence tools in creating content. And then the question is, did you use AI tools in creating texts, images, and or translations in your book? Yes or no? And they have... What happens when I make selections, though? Like... Right. I mean, that is unclear as of yet. So let's let's first go through the the facts. Okay, yeah. so they have defined AI generated content as content as text, images, or translations created by an AI based tool. Okay. If you used an AI based tool to create the actual content, whether text, images, or translations, mm-hmm. it is considered AI generated, even if you applied substantial edits afterwards. Wait, wait, wait. So the way I read that at first, like you're talking, you're reading the explanation and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so like outlines and like first draft cover images don't matter. But then on the back end, they kick in that even if you make substantial changes afterwards. So really, right. this now is, is a very gray area to me because at what point, what's the definition of substantial changes? Correct. And that they don't define. And so, well, here they have a, defined AI assisted content as well. So if you, which is not, you are not supposed to self disclose if it's AI assisted, you don't have to. Okay. If you created the content yourself and used AI based tools to edit, refine, error check, or otherwise improve that content, whether text or images, then it is considered AI assisted and not AI generated. Excuse me. Similarly, if you used an AI-based tool to brainstorm and generate ideas, but ultimately created the text or images yourself, then it is also considered AI-assisted and not AI-generated. It is not necessary to inform us of the use of such tools or processes. Okay, so you can you can use you can use AI for quality control to yes. clean up your manuscript before you publish it. And Amazon doesn't care about that. You You can can even use use it to brainstorm. Right. Or to outline, to come up with the plot and to put a skeleton together as long as you, the human, do all of the actual writing of the story. I think so. I believe And they don't need to know about that. 
But so what is, what is put a skeleton together mean? Right? Like, right. right. Is it that they've, I don't think that it's, you could put out a rough draft. Is it you put out a rough draft or is it, you know, like a rough draft of a chapter mm-hmm. and then you are substantially changing? What is substantially right. changing? Does that then fall into the first category? So here's what I'm envisioning. I have no answer to that question, first and foremost. Secondly, I'm thinking about someone who takes a bunch of really popular, just single words or very short phrases in whatever genre they're writing in. Let's go with romance. And the first thing that comes to my mind, billionaire romance, right? So like uh, billionaire insert profession. I don't know. They're usually some sort of business person, lawyer, something like that. Right. Sure. So billionaire businessman, and then you plug in, I don't know, city, country, small town, beach, mountains, rustic, urban, whatever you're looking for in your setting. Right. And then you ask AI to give you some sort of plot that you can plug in, you know, a, a romantic love interests, basic details too, right? Yeah. And if AI generates a very basic storyline, yeah. if you as the human turn that into a 40, 50, 100,000 word manuscript, you've done all of the truly creative work, but you still didn't really necessarily generate the plot. Right, like, but is I don't think that I think that's AI assisted, right? You think that falls think, in the AI assisted category? This is this is the question: What is right. assisted and what is generated? I think we can all agree that if you type in, like you know, write me a romance book with these characters and this mm-hmm. person, and you yeah. know, whatever, and it spits out a fifty thousand word, I'm just making up a number, romance sure. novel. And then you take that novel and you run it through Grammarly. Okay. I'm just, and you or clean. Or you run it through your AI proofing. Yeah, your, whatever, your AI right? proofing. And yeah. then you publish that book that that's very clearly AI generated. Yes. But there's so many more nuances in the publishing process that could be assisted yeah. with AI that are not necessarily immoral or illegal or, you know, terrible that become now this gray area of what is assisted and what is not assistant. What is substantially at it mean? Yeah. What does that mean? You and I approach ambiguities by putting our lawyer hats on, right? Right. Yeah. Parsing (laughs) things out to death. Not every KDP user is going to approach this this way, right? But also, without very basic definitions, if I am using AI as an author in any way, shape, or form, I am genuinely confused about what my obligations are here with this checkbox. Yeah. And also, so. this is the, the bigger problem to me. I don't, I don't see in this anywhere what the repercussions are for incorrectly right. reporting. What happens if I used AI and I just say that I didn't? How does Amazon find that out? Can Amazon find that out? Yeah, right Do now I it's- violate terms of service at this point. Like mm-hmm. right now, it says that they are collecting information. That that they're doing nothing, nothing with. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. what are you doing with that information? Are you taking a survey? Because that's how that question is worded to me. 
Well, you know what I mean? I mean like, perhaps the first the first step in addressing the issue of AI entering this sphere is just finding out how many users are willing to openly report that they are engaging well, AI on some level of the journey from inception to publication. The self-reporting is the key. I mean, people right. are, you know, yeah. Who? Why yeah. would you? Why would you self-report that? Why would you self-report right now? Why would you tell on yourself without knowing any of the consequences for? Mm-hmm. Notwithstanding, listen, we could go down the whole moral route, whatever, whatever, yeah. all that noise, right? Because right. there's a lot. This is a very sensitive topic in the author community right now. Mm-hmm. I'm ignoring that portion of it. Speaking only to the question at hand, if you are somebody who did AI generate, right? Who did the whole thing, who did AI generate, why would you tell on yourself right now without knowing any of the consequences for doing so? Oh my God, I had the exact same thought. It's like, uh, how many people see their doctor and underreport risky behavior that they engage in? Right. I would say probably a majority of people, whether it's contact with other people on any level or the use of substances or your diet or your exercise, whatever. Whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, I I think that there are a lot of people who underreport. And I have probably at different junctures underreported to my own doctor about various things. And that's in a confidential relationship. Right. And I know what the consequences are. I'm taking (laughs) risks of not giving this person the information that they need to give me all of the advice that they can and to treat me. Right. Yeah. In this, in this situation, I have no idea what the risks are and this is potentially impacting my livelihood or at least a stream of income that I rely on or a business that I'm trying to build and turn into a stream of income that I can rely on. And there are no guidelines right now for right. what what substantially edit means. And mm-hmm. as we just demonstrated, there's a big gray area here. You know, right. like what does that mean? Like we know what we like well, I said, is it we know what from it means. Versus cover art too. Oh, sorry. I think that that needed that right there. But apparently, <laughs> good God. I told you this is unhinged today. <laughs> but yeah, cover art. Let's get back to the point. Oh, man. Oh, I swear. Wild. It's just been one of those weeks. That was. It really is. That was I was like, where did that come needed. from? Oh, that's me. Um, pressing a button. I was just trying to move the mouse away from your face. Cover art, I think, is much, much more of a stickier wicket. Yeah, because we've had this conversation before. Yes, we have. When you're talking about art and licenses and ownership mm-hmm. of that, yeah, that is much different than talking about intellect, you know, intellectual property with copyright for yes. words. Um, very different, and I don't, I still do not see how you can create any image with AI. And not fall into a copyright trap. How how it can can be legal? I don't I don't see right. that right now. Or step on someone's trademark, or violate right. a license, or something of that nature. Right? Yeah. I, I don't legally see it. I suppose 
if the AI is carefully controlled and producing graphic content in an environment where it's only pulling from licensed images. Sure. But I don't think the majority of them are set up that way. No. So. And also the question is, is the licensed image being, is the the originator of the licensed image, are they then going to be, you know, compensated right. for right. that license for the use of it in AI as they right. would in any other conglomeration of purchasing and then right. creating a. Well, and if you have a pre-existing license to use an image for any purpose, right. Does that license contemplate manipulation by artificial intelligence? I mean, I think I would be much more comfortable if say I went on deposit photos and I found sure five images that I wanted to use in my fantasy novel cover. And then I went to an AI generator and had to upload those images into the AI generator. And they then would take those and make it into, I would say, take these images and make it into XYZ. And it did that. That would be legal. That would be fine. That would be the AI would be doing the photo manipulation that a designer would do. And there's nothing wrong with that. AI is simply stepping into Photoshop and doing the things that you as the human would do using the software. Right. Which is totally fine. However, when you're just going in blank to an AI generator and saying, show me an image with, you know, these elements in it, it's pulling them from somewhere. They didn't come up with it out of their ass. Like it's pulling it from somewhere. Right. And that's and somewhere. Proper permission to pull it and to use it yeah. in the way that it has pulled it and used it. Probably fucking not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, just to be frank, it's not. I think with text, it's a lot different because there is a lot more if you will, public domain free words on the internet. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. It's it's different the because word has way more fair use and yes. also like <clears throat> the analysis of an infringement is way less stringent because words are fluid. And it's yeah. entirely possible for someone to come up with something that's similar to someone else's written product without actually having stolen that from them. We had a situation in the romance community a few years back where there was a a plagiarist and the plagiarism was blatant. There were Mm -hmm. sections that had been copied from a book that was published two or three years before the, uh, the work that was full of plagiarism. And the only things that had been changed were like, character descriptions and maybe like the names of restaurants and bars where the characters were frequenting. Yeah. That's a classic case of infringement, right? Mm -hmm. But just coming up with something that seems similar, that's a much harder thing to prove. Yeah. Because it's entirely possible that someone's brain just thought of something very similar to someone else who previously published something that can happen. It happens often. Right. And it happens very frequently. And that's why you can't copyright a cover or I'm sorry, a title name, for example, because that would just get too 
you know, too insane. (laughs) You can can try, but you can certainly try. But yeah, I mean, with with words, it's a lot different. Also, the AI theoretically can be knowing in a way that maybe they have just like a romance reader has read a whole bunch of books, right? Read. I use read in quotes. Read books, read articles on the internet, read, you know, theoretically all of this stuff has been stuffed into it. Yeah. And so it can, it like a, think thinking of AI like a person, it would be like bouncing ideas off of that other person, right? Right. So it, coming up with ideas for you or words for you to use or, or what have you is not the same thing as art. I think, I think we can all agree on that, but there's just a lot of, I don't know. There's a lot of gray area here, a lot. And this is not an argument that is going to be going away. Number one. And I don't think resolved in any sort of short term. Yeah. You and I know our legal system. I I think it gets way messier. There are going to be a lot of bumps before we come to a place where we have a standard set of rules for how and in what capacity these tools are appropriate to be used and are not violating terms of service for selling books on, you know, major web-based platforms or in the, the remaining brick and mortar bookstores that exist. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest issue that I can see right now for authors using AI to help them edit their books or clean up Mm -hmm. their books and things like that. And I was talking with a client about this issue, the whole AI issue uh, earlier this week, because it is is a very hot topic. Sure. And I brought this up to to this author and um, I'll, I'll bring it up here. So my question is, what does the AI generator do with the content that you have provided it? So if you have uploaded your manuscript into an AI machine, we'll put it that mm-hmm. like, cause you know, there's a million of them now. ChatGPT is very popular, but there are, there are tons of others. What does it then do with that information that you have provided it? Is it then using it just for you, for your future generative use or is, is it, it now in the database of yes. material that it pulls from to generate Correct. content for other users and now your copyrighted material yeah is potentially being pulled apart and used in violation of your copyright by this automated system correct and that's not clear mm-hmm. that's not clear at all right now as to right. what they do with the information that you provide it they say that, you know, it learns from you, you know, what you like and, and what have you, which I've messed around with AI and sometimes it can get stupid. Like sometimes it's very smart and then suddenly it's just dumb again and you're like, what happened? Um, well, and, and yeah, and never mind that it, it often carries the bias of the people <clears throat> who've programmed it. Right. Absolutely. From a diversity inclusion standpoint, how many, you know, how much stuff is being manipulated and or replaced to substitute the preferences of the opinions or the bias of its creators, right? Absolutely. 
So, yeah, I mean, if that is something I would be cautious about if you are an author and you're uploading mm-hmm. your work into these systems, even to do mm-hmm. as is apparently allowed, you know, so says sure. Amazon, to... Well, as, as does not need to be disclosed, <laughs> As I guess, does not need point. to be disclosed. Amazon is unconcerned about right now, as right. in Amazon does not see any sort of problem with you doing it, so... right. Yeah to proofread or spell check or what have you. Right. What is then happening to that content when you've uploaded it? And I know that some people were saying that, you know, oh, they mean what you're talking about, like um, Grammarly with its like AI assisted features to do like proofreading or like AI, AI features that are in other programs, not necessarily an AI program, but that's not what that says. It doesn't, you know what I mean? So that might be how some people are, people are interpreting it. And that's a valid interpretation, but it's also not the only interpretation of that language. So it's just very unclear as to where we sit right now uh, with, with AI in this industry. It's going to be a wild ride, I think, for the next several years. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I'm seeing it also invade areas where we're not really talking about copyright issues so much or any sort of trademark infringement, but I set up Facebook ads yesterday for a client. And in the regular course of business, I do that several times per week. So yesterday for the first time I saw, and I may be behind the curve here. Facebook may not have delivered this feature to me before, but I saw an option to have my, creative copy content reformatted and cut into neat new snippets by the the automation portion of Facebook's ad dashboard. And I cannot tell you how inaccurate (laughs) the suggestions were. It completely changed the story, right? So like, I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, fine. Let's just see what happens when I cut and paste it in. So I take the original back cover copy, the blurb, in its entirety And I put it in the primary text box for the actual text that's going to be displayed with the ad graphic all over the meta network, right? And Facebook completely changed the story. In all three of the options it gave me for alternatives to the back cover copy. Yeah. Completely inaccurate. Yeah. I've tried it too. Completely inaccurate. I've tried that uh, just to be like, oh, let's modernize this blurb, right? Like, let's see if uh, we can get this blurb to be a little bit more modern. Right. And I want you to, you know, make this change, use this keyword, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. AI has spit out a blurb and changed the names of the lead characters. (laughs) Changed the setting. Uh Uh-huh. Changed everything. And I'm like... What in the actual fuck? Like, yeah. what now? So, I mean, that that just goes to show that, like, AI is certainly not as intelligent it, as... It has its limits, which yeah. is another concern, too. Like, how much do you want to rely on it? Yeah. How much can you rely on it? I mean, you heard about the attorney who wrote the AI-generated brief, right? Girl, don't even get me started Oh, yeah, that. you heard about that, yeah. And AI just made up citations. Citing to cases that did not exist, but actually creating citations in the proper format. And just made up the cases. Like these cases existed, even though they did not. Right. And yeah, 
dude's going in front of the grievance at the bar ethics board as he should because that's that's messed up no you can't do that so like but i understand what people are saying is like okay we're here now when we will be theoretically getting to a place where it will be more accurate mm-hmm. theoretically so we should talk about we should do things now before it gets to the place where we're going right valid this needs to we need to have some sort of set of guidelines here we need some set of you know we there need needs to be rules of the road yeah so that we're not all just out here mad maxing it trying to figure out you know how do i accomplish the thing i want to do right not and the same thing what other people are doing and how to how to protect your own intellectual property yes. because you know i would love to be able to use some of these tools uh, more frequently i would love for my authors to be able to use some of these tools mm-hmm. more frequently uh, but there's a lot of hesit- hesitancy sure. with using these because of not really understanding what it you know what happens to the end information uh, where does it go who owns it what happens right And without any sort of guidelines or rules right now, I think you're going to continue to see that really big pushback. And also because there are companies out there that are just blatantly trying to use AI to replace humans in many ways, which, well, I mean, I'm not necessarily opposed to for certain things, right? But I'm talking about using other people's intellectual property without compensating them for it. And um, retraining an AI system to then create new content based upon the other content that is not being proper. Like, for example, I'm talking about in like audiobooks, for for example, there are some companies that are just allow they have a little clause. Look for this authors. If you're signing any audiobook contracts, make sure that you have a clause in there that says that your content will not be uploaded to be training any sort of AI anything um, because otherwise your content will probably be used to train an AI for the purpose of creating AI-generated audiobooks. Well, there's, there's no guarantee that that won't happen anyway, even sure. though your produ- your production company or your distributor may not be allowed to under the terms of your contract. Anyone can buy your audiobook and then sure. take that file and use it to train AI to do whatever they're looking to train AI to do. I saw a TikTok just a couple of nights ago. As an aside, being an elder millennial, I loved <laughs> pop punk music in the late 90s and early 2000s. So I see a lot of pop punk TikToks. Mm-hmm. And this one was about some guy who made a bot, an, an AI bot, listened to like a thousand hours of pop punk music and then asked it to write a pop punk song. Yeah. And the music itself sounded pretty unique to me, definitely on brand for that style of music. But the lyrics, I was like, oh, I know exactly what song. I know exactly, just based on the words. Yeah. And I guarantee you, none of the bands whose music were added to this AI experiment, right. licensed this gentleman to do what he'd done. It, it's fun. Right. It was entertaining for TikTok purposes. But now this particular piece of technology is probably using all of these artists' intellectual property right. illegally. Well, and isn't that forever more? 
Right. Isn't that part of what um, the artists, uh, the actors are fighting about? Yes, the Screen Actors Guild. The Screen Actors Guild. The SAG After Strike. Absolutely, that's what it's about. There's a big portion of it. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, because it's want my understanding. They intellectual property protected, and they don't. Right. They not only and their don't faces. want to be replaced by the technology, they don't want to not be fairly compensated. Right. For this intellectual property being used in such a way to save all of these big studios so much money over time. Right. Reducing that the number of using their using their their likeness in yes. future projects without requiring mm-hmm. any compensation to right. the original actor. Whose likeness right. it is. Right. And that's what the big studios want to do. They want them They've to just find a way. Yeah. I, I believe Carrie Fisher has appeared posthumously in multiple Star Wars films. Yeah. And so. I mean, it's like sweet and nice when it's done in that way. Right. But sure. when you start thinking about doing it and well, we don't even really need the actor. We can just use voice altering AI and their likeness that we have the yep. ability to grab and manipulate it how we want. Okay. Okay. Now this is getting CGI concerning. Their physical presence into the scene and we will use AI generated audio content <clears throat> to run the dialogue through a filter that sounds just like them. Yeah. Them. Now we're concerned. Right. Right. So it's a lot of that is that is seeping into the publishing industry in the same way. It just has different oh. connotations. All creatives are going to be impacted by yeah. AI, whether you are an actor, an artist, a musician, a writer, a photographer, whatever media you work in as a creative, you're going to be impacted by AI yeah. somehow. And there's you there's going to have to be rules of the road somehow. Um, it's going to have to be regulated in a way that yeah. makes it legal and mm-hmm compensates people whose work is being used i mean just that's how it or their estates or whatever or whatever right whatever the case may be Mm -hmm. but well let's get to a question or two yeah let's answer some questions so i saw a question on the interwebs uh that is an author who's asking others to explain the benefits of having as many reviews as possible on the amazon is having a large number of reviews more beneficial than having a small number of reviews? What does that do, et cetera, et cetera? And so it used to be people used to say, like, if you get 50 reviews on the first day of release, that it'll trigger something in the Amazon algorithms and it'll help boost you up in the rankings and et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if that ever was true. Um, <laughs> Honestly, it's a nice thought. It's a nice thought. But I've seen books in the top 100 with five reviews. So it is not it is not indicative of you being able to sell books whatsoever. Well, I think the the automations that run Amazon behind the scenes don't always automatically update in real time together. So it's entirely possible for store rank to be changing independently of. Right engagement with the review section of the book listing. <laughs> Absolutely. And we've seen Amazon hold reviews from users for days. Oh, you yeah. Know, after you submit a review, it doesn't automatically get published. Amazon no. scans that content to make sure that it doesn't violate their terms of service. And sometimes they don't publish yeah. a review that 
is a good review in the sense that it does not violate terms of service and contain words that it shouldn't. I, I don't know, four or five days sometimes. Oh, week. yeah. They can hold them for a minute. For sure. a minute. Sure. So, and also, I think just generally speaking, they, the, the short answer is no. You don't need a ton of reviews in order to sell books, right? Like no. that you don't need to have them listed there. However, from a reader perspective, when you're looking and scrolling through Amazon, when you're trying to find a new book to read and you see a book that has 3000 reviews on it and you see a book that has 12 reviews on it, you're more likely to be drawn to the book that has 3000 reviews on it because you, you mentally view that as a more popular, better book. Sure. Sure. Psychologically, Psychologically, you're giving the cue that this is a higher quality read or a better book to choose. <clears throat> More people have read it and have had things to say about it. Right. Not everybody is going to have the, the time to think, okay, well, I should look and see how long ago this book was published. Has it been out for a while versus is this one with lower reviews brand new? Right. I don't think a lot of readers think that way. Many do, but Many certainly do. not all of them. And so the more reviews you have for some readers, maybe even a majority of readers, the more likely they are to pick up your book and give it a try, especially if they've never read you before. I will also say from the author perspective, the more reviews, the Mm -hmm. better too, because when you do get that one star review, it's not going to tank your rating if you have, you know, 500 reviews on your title in the same way that it will if you have five reviews on your title. Mm -hmm. So having more positive reviews on your title is going to protect you from that sort of that, that issue when inevitably you get that one or two star because it's going to happen. But also the, the counterpoint to that is that the more reviews you collect, generally speaking, the lower your average rating is likely to be simply because nobody writes a book that everyone loves. Absolutely. Your book is not going to be for everyone. It's not. And nor should it And you're going to run into a lot of people who rate lower than your super fans do or your street team does or your, you know, your newsletter subscribers. To a lot of people, like a lot of people, a three-star review is great. Like readers. To authors, a three-star review is shitty. And... And, and candidly to us, to 1852 Media, a three-star review is sort of like the bar is on the floor. Yeah. If you can give our authors three stars, by all means, please go ahead and review that book right away. Yeah. If you're going to give it less than three stars, can, can you let us get through the release window before yeah. you go out and tell people this one wasn't for you? Right. Like, just give, just us, give us a week. Give us a week. Give, give us a week. Give us a little time. But yeah, from an author's perspective, if they're not getting a four or five star They failed. They failed. And the reason that is, is because it looks really bad on the out on the, the reviewing platforms when it's a three star. So when you put that three star up there and you only have three out of five, it it just pulls all of the, the rankings down and it does look bad compared to other books. Right. So that's the reason that they don't like the three star. It's obviously your, your review is your review. Whatever it is. I'm not telling you that you have sure. to post four or five star reviews. Please don't let this turn into that. As that a reader, I saying. want your reviews to be honest anyway. Yes. Like if, if it was a if it was a DNF or like the worst book you've ever read, I want to know that. Yeah. Like as a reader. 
yeah. I want to be prepared to like filter that possibility as I'm giving the book a chance and also maybe to judge you because I disagree with you. Right. And that's right. whatever the, the case may be. Yeah. But I know a lot of readers look at three star reviews as like, Oh, it was good. The book was good. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a three star review. There's like nothing yeah. negative, like in their mind about it at all. And that's three totally, stars is totally yeah. worth my time. And I find that that's valid. I mean, I, I do see, totally. I, I understand an author's perspective. I obviously we're on this side of things as well. And I see that, but I have had to talk many, uh, an author off the ledge and be like, listen, <laughs> a three star view is actually good. I understand what it does. To the right. I understand. Yeah. But there's nothing negative about a three-star review. Uh, it's just so-so. It just means that they didn't love it. They they just they didn't found hate it. it they didn't hate it either. They just, you know, you're right in the middle, my friend. Yep. Ambivalence. But yeah. the point, you know, obviously having the more reviews, the better, right? Like it does help uh, for social proof, if for nothing else. So I think that, you know, you're you want you want to have as many as possible yes having them be organic and verified is obviously wonderful yes that's what you ideally want um but having some arc reviews to start it off is is not a bad thing either well and there um, are a lot of arc readers that do buy the books that they love so mm -hmm. that is very borrow them from kobo plus or kindle unlimited so that they still get that verification with their review absolutely absolutely Good question. That was a good question. Um, someone asked about trademarking a pen name, if that's something that others have done and if they should do it themselves. Mm. And that is a very good question. And if you have a brand that you want to protect, yes, yes. you should trademark Absolutely. it. Yes. yes. But also, before you go further than your pen name or your brand name, Please go Google Cockygate. Yes. Yes. About how far not to take it. Go to the Google machine and do a little little romance landia history mm-hmm. lesson for yourself. There have been multiple attempts over the years for titles to be trademarked or other things related to publishing to be trademarked. I feel like that was the one where sort of there was the perfect storm or enough gas was thrown on the fire. Yeah. But certainly with your pen name. Absolutely. Yeah. Your absolutely. pen name, even a series name that you've been writing in the series for a while. And sure. it's got, it's, it, you know, you have 12 books in it, whatever. I'm, I'm just making absolutely. up a number, but mm-hmm. a series name, a pen name, you're building a brand off that. Yes. Go trademark it. Mm-hmm. Trademarking is not super cheap, but it's worth it. And then you have to remember though, you have to protect that trademark. Not legal advice, just, you know, throwing it out there. Consult an intellectual property attorney near you. Yes. Let's see. Um, there's, you know, some people have been talking about writer's block and, and what do you do when you have writer's block? And I think that that's just the nature of our society today is being very burned out. Like that, that is not that I feel like writer's block often comes from burnout. And in our society, with all of the constant, overwhelming everything that is constantly mm-hmm. being there, I said constantly 12 right. times, but right. it, it, to point out the emphasis of it, it is so overwhelming at times that it's 
surprising to me when people do not get burned out. It just because of the nature of this industry. We have experienced um, as a species, not just as, as a, as a society in the United States where we are, but as a species, we've experienced a collective, like uh, a collective threat in the last three years in the form of the pandemic. Right. The likes of which we have only experienced on much smaller scale in, you know, regionally mm-hmm. in the course of most of our lifetimes. I'm not sure that anyone is remaining alive uh, from the last global pandemic. Right. And, right. and if they are, they're very few. So that combined with how our lives have had to change drastically uh, as a result of that and economic forces and cultural expectations and so much that goes into it. How, how could you not be at capacity on something from time to time, whether it's your ability to be creative as someone who uses creativity to generate income or in your interpersonal relationships or in your own care of self, like Sometimes something just has to give. I think right. it's totally normal to experience writer's block and to just be burnt out as a creative. Yeah. Totally normal. Totally normal. And I know that when that happens, you feel frustrated because you're like, oh, I'll just push through it. But there's not a big pushing through that. You really have to take the time to find, you know, just take a break. And some people feel that they can't do that because of financial reasons or what have you, but something has to give because it's all not going to get better on its own. Right. You need to find a way to make that work for you again in whatever way that looks like. Um, Whether it's changing up how many releases you're having or pushing one back or Mm -hmm. taking a long weekend when you otherwise wouldn't have (laughs) or something to that effect. I mean, experimenting with writing shorter stories, you know, if you're someone who likes to write a 70, 80, 90,000 word manuscript, see how you feel about a 40,000 word short novel slash novella, you know? Yeah. Keep your publishing schedule, but reduce the pressure to produce quite as much content with that schedule. Maybe take a break from social media. Mm -hmm. Maybe just focus on your writing and take a break from all the other extraneous things that go along with it. Yeah. I mean, you got to find a way to make it not as terrible because it's so easy to, to fall into that trap and then be stuck. Right. Like you're just, Mm -hmm. you're, it's like quicksand. Yeah. So I, for those of you experiencing writer's block, I, we wish you nothing but the best. And we hope that you can find a way to gain a little peace this weekend. I think that that's probably all the time we have for, uh, author questions today, but we'll certainly be going back through. And, uh, if you have an author question, please let us know. And we're happy Mm -hmm. to address it in our next episode. Absolutely. And Veronica, do you have a tip for us this week? You want to? Would you like an evergreen marketing tip this week? I would love one. one. So don't neglect your network. Oh, that is a great one. Don't neglect your network. And what I mean by that is you should have connections with other people who do what you do. And also connections with people who do things that support what you do. Mm -hmm. And if you do not have those connections yet, you should be actively working on making them and building them and fostering them. As an author, attend author events, you know, sign up to 
go to signings and have a table where you meet readers and other authors or attend professional events, um, conferences where you can learn to hone your craft or learn marketing tools, anything where you will be around other people who write. And then once you have a network, use it. Reach out to these people that you know and ask for um, cross-promotional favors and all, you know, offer to engage with them when they also need cross-promotional support or get together and do group projects, brainstorm, just hang out together and do sprints when you're writing. Like it, it it really pays to build that network and then maintain it because other people are often not the key to our success, but certainly some of the building blocks along the way to getting there. They can absolutely help you in so many different ways mm-hmm. and you can help them in so many different ways. And it it's just really great to have that network yeah. also that you can rely on when things aren't always going great and you just yeah. need to vent and scream to somebody who is gets understanding. It. Yeah. Who gets yeah. it. So Great tip this week, Veronica. Thank you. High five for that. So next weekend, actually, when this when this drops, when this podcast drops, uh, the next day, I will be going to Witchy in Salem. I think that's what it's called. A a book signing event. So there, we'll be talking about uh, what happened there, and hopefully, I can impart some interesting information after I get back. I can't wait. Yeah. So, all right. Well, until next time, here's the song again. (laughs) (sighs) Oh, man, I'm the best. (laughs) TGIF.